Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. We'll pick up right where we left off last week. We'll read through the text, then we'll pray and get started. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For in bringing many sons to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, all things exist for him and through him, should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and I pray, dear Lord, that this word would be good for us today. God, it is good, but it's only good if we listen to it, if we pay attention to it, if we live by it, God. So I pray that today that you would help us to focus on your word. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be distracted by the things of the world. Maybe it's worries we brought in here with us or things that we'll hear or see today in this time. God, don't don't let them be a distraction to us that that we don't hear from you, dear Lord. So I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would work in these words that we will look at today, that we would recognize, God, that you love us, that we would recognize the greatness of Jesus and who he is. And, God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would help me to preach and teach in a way that brings glory and honor to you and all that is said here today. All for your glory, God. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We left off last week at the last few verses we looked at with this continuing theme that Jesus is better than the angels. And, and for a moment, Jesus was made lower than the angels. Even though he was the Son of God, he, he left that position seated beside God in heaven with God to come to this old world of sinners to be a human just like you and I, to suffer and have the same struggles that you and I have. And for a moment, for a little while, Jesus was made lower than the angels, but for a purpose, for a purpose. For a little while, as he was made lower than the angels, Jesus suffered greatly. We saw that in the last verse that we looked at last week. And we're continuing on in that same theme and that same idea today. Jesus came, and he came with a purpose. He came to accomplish a mission. And the mission that Jesus came to accomplish was to restore the relationship with humanity to God. A relationship that had been broken in Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth and he made humanity and it says that God created man in his own image. And here we were in the image of God, but we did not live up to the image of God. We begin to sin as humanity very early on. And we have continued to sin until this day. In this room is a group of sinners. In this room is a group of people that apart from Jesus Christ, we are doomed to be separated from God for all of eternity. But God desires a relationship with humanity. And so that relationship that God desired from the Garden of Eden was messed up. But Jesus came to restore that. And that's what we see throughout Scripture, and that's what we are reminded of in this passage today. It was fitting for God. It was appropriate for God. It was necessary for God 
the God who created all things, whom all things exist through him, it was right for God and necessary for God to bring about salvation for his people through suffering. And that's what we see in the first verse that we look at there at the end of verse 10, that God should make the source of their, of their salvation perfect through suffering. Who is the source of our salvation today? It is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And how in the world is the source of our salvation made perfect through suffering? Wasn't Jesus perfect before he came and died on the cross? Absolutely he was perfect before he came and died on the cross. But when Jesus came and lived a life of obedience to God, living the will of God out, it proved, it shows us without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Son of God and he, in fact, is the perfect Son of God. And why was it necessary that Jesus suffered? It was necessary that Jesus suffered so that we would not have to suffer. It was necessary that Jesus would come and live a perfect life because you and I I cannot live a perfect life because the scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. That's everybody in this room. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the God who created us to live in his image. We have all failed in following and living to the will of God. We have all failed in living in obedience to the will of God. And that is why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was necessary. That's why it was necessary that Jesus would come and take on the form of a human being to accomplish the things that you and I could not accomplish. We cannot be obedient to God. We can try as good as we want to, and we should. Praise God, we need to be trying every day to live in obedience to God. But there are days, no matter how hard we try, that we fail, that we sin, that we don't do the will of God, that we don't live in obedience. And that's the importance of who Jesus is. Jesus was an obedient son. Yes, the angels are called sons of God. You and I are called sons of God in the scripture. But Jesus was the son of God in a unique way. And all the things that the angels could not do and all the things that we could not do, Jesus has done them. He is the only one who was capable to do them. He is the only one who has done them. And praise God that Jesus said, Father, your will be done, not mine. Father, what you call me to, I will be obedient to whatever it is you have called me to. And the source of our salvation was perfected through suffering because he perfected all the things that we could not do. Every way that we failed, Jesus was perfect. Continuing on in verse 11. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. So here we see this idea of sanctification that we see sometimes in Scripture. Now, to be sanctified means to be made pure. It, be, it means to be set apart. It means to be holy. It's a process that begins in us once we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The one who sanctifies, that is Jesus. That sanctification is possible. It begins when we say, Lord Jesus, I know that you are the Son of God and that you gave your life on the cross so that I could be forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, the Scripture tells us. And so Jesus shed his perfect blood so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven. 
And so Jesus is the one who, who sanctifies us. He is the one who purifies us by the shedding of his blood. And so we are sanctified by Jesus. And what does it say? For the one who sanctified and sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. In this beautiful language, here's this language of, of this restoration, that we are in one with God, that we are in one accord with God, that we are one people in the presence of God through Jesus Christ, that that process of being purified and forgiven and, and returning to that state of, of, of in the glory of God, in the image of God that we were once in, that process has started through Jesus Christ and it's a process that continues until we are with the Lord. Now, when it comes to sanctification, I certainly believe that it is a process that is ongoing in the life of the believer. I believe it is necessary because we cannot live a perfect and sinless life. It is impossible, I believe, for us to do so. We can try as hard as we want. Even if we put our faith in God and we are living by God's Word as good as we can, I believe it's inevitable that we are going to sin. But the important thing is, is that when we put our faith in Jesus, that sanctification, it's, it's happened, but it's not yet. It's happened in part, but it's not happened in whole. Yes, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are made pure. Our sins are forgiven. We are set apart. We are holy. But it's a process that must continue because we continue to sin. But as we continue to seek God and grow in Him, we should begin to look more like Him. That's part of what I believe the process of sanctification is, is that we are growing to look like the one who has sanctified us. We talked about that a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, that we should strive to imitate Jesus, that we should strive in every way to look like Jesus and who he is. And a good test for us is to look at all the things in our life that don't look like Jesus and begin to chisel those things away, begin to, to work on those things. Ask God to help us to overcome those sins in our life. And so our goal, if we are being sanctified and have been sanctified through Jesus Christ, is to continue to strive to look like him and imitate him and live up to the image of God that we have been created to. Do we look like Jesus in our life today? Well, that's a question that's easy for us to answer, perhaps. And when we see those areas where we don't, we need to say, okay, God, I need you to continue to work in me. And there's coming a day. There's coming a day that when we are in the presence of the Lord for all of eternity, that we will be a new creation. We will be a better man and a better woman than we are right now. But right now, we are a work in progress. And I believe we need to seek God every day so that we can learn to be like Him and long to be like Him in the way that we live our life. So Jesus came with this goal. It was necessary for Him to be the source of our salvation and for suffering to be part of that so that we could be restored into the presence of God in the way that God intended from the beginning. And so we see here in our passage, and, and your translations differ a little bit in verse 10 uh, in, in, in the order, but it was entirely appropriate that God who created all things made Jesus to be a source of our salvation for what purpose? Well, there was one part of the verse we haven't looked at yet. What is the purpose that Jesus came and died? What is the goal that God desires? It is this, to bring many sons to glory. This was the goal. This was the purpose of Jesus Christ, to make, bring many sons and daughters, as many who would put faith in Jesus Christ, that God would bring them to glory 
through Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be brought to glory? Well, sometimes perhaps we may see that and we may think about heaven. We may think of glory as, as heaven. And, and maybe in some sense that's a, that's a fitting way to look at the word. Glory could be used and, and interpreted in some different ways throughout the scriptures. But here it says that Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. I don't believe here that it's speaking of necessarily heaven, just, just heaven alone, just a place that, okay, God sent Jesus so that he could bring us to heaven. I think perhaps maybe it's greater what the scripture is saying here, what the idea of glory is. Now, we've talked about the glory of God. We talked about that at the very beginning of the book of Hebrews when we talked about that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory or the brightness of God's glory. We talked about how beautiful that is. We talked about the scene where Moses wanted to see the glory of God. And God said, nobody can see my glory in its fullest and live. And Moses only got to see a smidgen of the glory of God. And yet it changed his life. And so the glory of God is a beautiful thing. And here in this text, it says that Jesus came to bring many sons into glory, not just into heaven. Now, we, we sang songs about that. Our lead singer of our group, the Gully Jumpers, uh, give me a mansion in the corner of glory land, he sings on occasion. We sang those songs, and maybe when we think about glory land, we think about heaven, but maybe there's a bigger, a bigger picture when we think about the glory of God. Maybe there's something more beautiful than simply just, just being in a place that's better than this. Now, praise the Lord, we long to be in a place that's better than this, but what really makes heaven spectacular, what really makes it worth everything is that there is God, there is Jesus, and there we will see the glory of God in its fullest. We see a few different passages where we see this idea of the glory of God in the image of God. Kind of, there's a connection there. There's something going on there. There's a lot of passages we could look at. We'll only look at a few today, but one we are quite familiar with. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. For Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the express image or the exact nature of who God is, right? So here we see that idea that Jesus is the glory of God and Jesus is the image of God. Now we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Now when we read that passage, we certainly don't read that and think, oh, we've, we've fallen short of heaven. No, we, we don't interpret glory in that way. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In the beginning, where we, we were created in the image of God and who God is. And here we begin to see this idea, I believe, in this restoration of humanity that we are being restored through Jesus Christ into the image of God, who is the radiance of God's glory. That many sons, as it says in verse 10, are being brought to glory through Jesus Christ, who is the radiance of God's glory, the exact image of who God is. Hebrews, uh, excuse me, John chapter 17, verse 21 says this, May they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. So here's this idea, this, this restoration, the idea that God is going to bring many sons to glory, that God is going to restore everything. We see that idea here in this passage in John chapter 17, that Jesus, as he prays there before he is crucified and resurrected, he says, look, God, you and I are one. 
But what's the, what's the desire? That we would all be one. That we would be one in Jesus and in God as Jesus and the Father are one. May we all be one. This is the goal that Jesus came to accomplish. He came to bring about restoration. Sin had to be dealt with. A, pace, a price had to be paid. And Jesus came to give his life so that that price could be paid. So that we could be restored to God. So that we could be sons of glory. Listen at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We all with unveiled faces, now that's a reference to the story of Moses. We won't get into that too much today since we talked about it in great detail at the beginning of Hebrews, but it's a good, good passage you can go back and study in Exodus. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. Okay, so in some way today, we see the glory of the Lord. I mean, we see in the, in the words of Scripture, we see in the life of Jesus Christ and who He is, the glory of God has been revealed to us. But what does it say here in 2 Corinthians? It's as if we're looking through a mirror. Now, now maybe this doesn't make sense to us because we look at a mirror, and when we look in a mirror, everything, quite frankly, is perfectly clear. It looks just like it does if you're looking at somebody. But, but perhaps in these days, maybe mirrors weren't quite, quite as clear. Maybe, maybe whatever metals that they were using to make their mirrors, maybe there was enough there to see a reflection but perhaps the reflection in the mirror in those days was not quite as clear. You could make out who it was, but it wasn't a perfect reflection. And so Paul says, look, we see now the glory of God, but it's as though we're looking in a mirror and we only see a part of it. We're not seeing it clearly. We're not seeing it fully. But what does he say as the verse continues? We are looking in, as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image. So he says, look, we're looking at the glory of God, and what is the language that Paul uses? He says, as we look at the glory of God, what little bit do we see, there's a transformation that is taking place. We are being transformed into the image of God. Now, we were created in the image of God. Sin has come into the picture, and we no longer live and look like God and act like God and represent who God is but now through Jesus Christ, who has come to bring many sons to glory, as we see the glory of God and we put our faith in Jesus Christ, there's a transformation that begins as we are being sanctified and we are being made to what? To look like and live in the image of God. And then as the verse continues, from glory to glory. Okay, so we've seen the glory of God to some extent today. And as we see that glory and are transformed into the image of God that we were originally created in, there's still a process. We're going from the glory we know to the glory that we will one day see. But we have not seen that glory yet today. Praise the Lord. There is something better than what we see before us today. We, we should strive for as we're being transformed by the Holy Spirit who's working in us through Jesus Christ. We should strive to live as best we can for God and live up to the image of God. And we will fail and praise the Lord for Jesus Christ. He is there to continue to help us to grow as we walk with the Lord from glory to glory. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know what that, excuse me, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. 
Now here's beautiful language that we see repeatedly through the scripture. And that is we are called children of God. We are God's children. Jesus is the Son of God, and yet you and I can be called children of God through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he says here, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. Okay, so we are something, we are something special when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. There's something unique, there's something beautiful, there's something great about the fact that we have been forgiven, that we are sons of God, that we have seen God's glory and experienced it in some way. And as children of God, there's something different about us, but what we will fully be, we have not yet seen. It has not yet been revealed to us. We know that when he appears, okay, there's coming a day that we will see God, that we will be in the presence of God, that we will see his appearance. When he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. This is part of that restoration, okay? We sin, we've fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory and the image of God, is, is, is through his sacrifice that we are being transformed. As we see the glory of God, we're being transformed into the glory of God from glory to glory. And there's coming a day that we will see God as he is, that what Moses desired to see, you and I will see. We will see God in all of his glory. Now, we will be in the corner of glory land, but heaven is more than just a place. It's being in the presence of God. It's seeing who God is. And when that day comes, we won't care about mansions or we won't care about cabins or anything else because it is the glory of God that we seek. It is the glory of God that's going to fulfill us. It's the glory of God that's going to, to, to blow our minds. And so Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says that Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. That's you and I in this room. Jesus died on a cross to bring us to glory, to bring us into the presence of God, to change our life, to sanctify us, to cleanse us, to purify us, to transform us into the image of God. We have fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus has restored us to the glory of God when we put our faith and trust in Him. And oh, we see the beauty of God today. We see the beauty of Jesus today. But how much more beautiful will it be when we see God in all of His glory? The last verse here that we looked at this morning, verse 13, excuse me, verse 12, end of verse 11 and verse 12, that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. And then he quotes a couple of Old Testament passages here. I will proclaim your name to my brothers. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Now, one thing we have seen a lot here in the beginning of Hebrews, I should have counted it up. I don't even know how many Old Testament references we have seen. It's quite a few, probably over a dozen up to this point. And here again, here's the quotation. And it's interesting sometimes in the New Testament, quotations that are attributed to Jesus, things from the Old Testament that were said in the Old Testament that may not be obvious for us that they apply to Jesus. Now, the first passage that he quotes here in verse 12, I will pro proclaim your name to my brothers. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. This is a quote from Psalm chapter 22, verse 22. 
This one's kind of easy. We can, we can certainly attribute this to Jesus. You go read Psalm 22. That's good homework for you this week. If you're not familiar with it, you can read it. It's good. When you get through, just flip on over to 23. But Psalm 22, we certainly can see Jesus in there. We can see Jesus suffering. We can see that this is, that this is prophesying Jesus on the cross. And so we can make that connection there. And, and he's making this point. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. The one who is greater than the angels who came and suffered is bringing you back to the glory of God. That's something the angels couldn't do. And if you need further evidence that Jesus is doing this and is accomplishing this, then look back at the Old Testament scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and see these words. And he says, here's what Jesus says. And he quotes Psalm 22, verse 22. Then again, he quotes from uh, Psalm chapter 8, verses 17, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 17 and 18 in the next passage. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Now that one's a little more difficult. Now you go back and you read the context of Isaiah chapter 8. It's not real clear that that's, that that's Jesus speaking there, but yet we know it has to be at least a dual prophecy, at least uh, something prophesied about Jesus, because here we have the author of Hebrews that says, oh, and by the way, this is Jesus saying this in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. And so here we have the Son of God who has come to bring us into the glory of God, and what a beautiful thing that he says, here I am with the children God gave me. And what does he say in, in the other verse? I will proclaim your name to my brothers. Isn't it a fantastic thing to think about that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would call you and I brothers and sisters today. If we put our faith and trust in him, that Jesus would call us brothers today. God came up with a beautiful creation, a beautiful world, and a beautiful humanity. And we were created in the image of God, and sin ruined that for us. There's sin in your life today. There's sin in my life today. But Hebrews reminds us of the one who came to deal with our sin, of the one who came to suffer for us. God desired for us to be children, but instead we were sinners. But through Jesus Christ, he says, I am proud to call them brothers so that they may be children of God, so that through the Son of God, you and I can be sons and daughters of God. What a beautiful thing that Jesus Christ came today to transform our life, to renew us, to restore us, to bring us back to the image of God, to the glory of God. And Jesus says today, look, if you'll put your faith in Him, if you will come to Him, if you will trust in Him, if you will follow Him, Jesus said today, I'll call you brother. Jesus is not ashamed today to call you brother. He's not ashamed to call you sister if you would come and follow Him and make Him the Lord of your life and the King of your life. He's not afraid to call you brother. Are you afraid to call Him Lord? I hope not today. Let us pray. God, we come to You. We thank You for Your good words. And I pray today that You help us to recognize who we are, that we have fallen short of Your glory, what You have called us to, the image You created us in, and the way that You desired for us to live for You, dear Lord. I pray that You forgive us for failing and for our sin. I pray today that we would recognize and acknowledge that we are indeed sinners. God, I pray today that we would seek the one who can forgive our sins in Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, maybe there are some here today and they are yours and maybe there is just sin that they need to repent of in their life. 
God, maybe they need to reshift their focus on you. Maybe they've been focusing on things other than things of the world. Dear Lord, maybe those who are yours today just need to be reminded that they are your children, that Jesus himself is proud to call them brother, is proud to call them sister, is proud to call them your children today. Let us be reminded that Jesus died on a cross to be able to call us children of God, dear Lord, and not take that lightly. God, maybe there are some here today and they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe today for the first time they have, they have really been made aware that they have fallen short of your glory, that they have sinned, dear Lord God. I pray that today that they would know that it's only through the suffering of Jesus, the perfect suffering of Jesus, God, that our salvation has come near to us today for those who would put their faith in Him. God, I pray today that, that You would bring sanctification, that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that they would be sanctified, that You would begin to transform them, dear Lord, change their life, work in their life, help them to overcome their sin, God. I pray today that if there are any that do not know Jesus Christ today, that before they leave, that they would put their faith in Him. God, I pray that they would come down if there are some today that have made that decision to let it be known to us, God, that we can baptize them just as you have commanded. And God, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.